Thank you, Katie and Linda. If you would, turn your Bibles again to 1 John chapter 5, 1 John 5. There are certain topics or subjects I like to preach on about every two or three years, and today is one of them. We're going to focus on what the Bible talks about, the assurance of salvation. Many people, especially new believers, go through doubts and questions about being saved. And people who have been saved for years can still have doubts. So I think it's important for us to look at a subject that would be helpful to everybody. And so 1 John chapter 5, here a verse tells us that we can know that we have eternal life. And so in your bulletin, you'll find an insert. Please take that out. And you can follow along as we, I preach this morning. And uh, we're going to turn to several scriptures today. I'll be calling the page numbers for those of you in the church Bible. And many of the scriptures will be on the screens. I hope you'll follow along with this as we cover this wonderful subject on the assurance of salvation. In 1 John chapter 5, look at it again, if you would please. In verse 11, it said, verse 11, and this is the record that God hath given to us, what? And that was weak. <laughs> so if you would say the word with me, please. This is the record that God hath given to us, what? Eternal life. Now, how long is eternal life? Uh, forever, exactly. It's not life until you sin again. It's not life until you backslide. It is life eternal. And God gives that to us when we trust Christ as Savior. And notice where this life is found. It said, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Listen to carefully, please. Eternal life is not in a church. It's not in a way of conduct. It's not a set of rules, not in the law. It's in a person, Jesus Christ. And when you receive Christ, you receive life. I trusted Christ as an eight-year-old boy, but never got the assurance of my salvation until I was about 22. Even though I received Christ as Savior, I did not know I had eternal life. But the Bible clearly says, he that hath the Son hath life. So whenever that time was you trusted Christ as Savior, God gave you eternal life, and because it's in his son. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot have the son without life. You cannot have life without the son. In fact, the Bible said, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Life. So basically, whenever that time was, you understood the gospel and you prayed to receive Christ, at that moment you received eternal life. And notice here that he puts it in writing so we can know that we have it. Verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may, what? Amen. Circle that word. Now, if you're using a Bible, don't circle it in your church Bible. But if you have your own Bible, please circle the word no. In other words, this verse is written to believers, those that know Christ as Savior, for the sole purpose that you may know, not hope, not guess or wonder, that you may know that you have eternal life. And so that's written just for that. So we're going to talk about this morning, the assurance of salvation. And so why can we be assured of salvation? Because the Bible clearly teaches what is called the eternal security of the believer. That once you're saved, you're secure for all eternity because of your faith in Christ. And listen carefully, please. Eternal security is not a separate doctrine from salvation. If you're not saved forever you're not saved at all. Because the only kind of life God gives is eternal life. He doesn't give you probationary life. He doesn't give you temporary life. He doesn't give you life until you sin again or backslide. He gives you eternal life. 
And however, assurance of salvation is different than security. Understand, listen carefully. Uh, many people base their security on their assurance, not their assurance on the security. You are secure for eternity whether you're assured of it or not. Many times we go through doubts and wonders, but my friend, if you trust in Christ, you are secure for all eternity. So listen carefully, please. Don't base your security on your assurance. Base your assurance on your security. And once you're saved, the Bible says you are secure for all eternity in Christ. So let me give you three reasons a believer can have assurance of this. Hope you write it down. Three reasons why a Christian can be assured of their salvation. First of all, let's look at the substance of assurance. The substance of assurance. What gives the believer's assurance any credibility? Why can I have be assured of my salvation? Let me give you three of them, and they're all based on the character of God, the attributes of God. First of all, the substance of assurance, letter A, is the immutability of God. The immutability of God. That's a big word we don't hear much today. Basically, it means God does not change. God does not change. Malachi 3.6. God said, for I am the Lord, I change not. This is a direct contrast between the false gods Israel is following. They changed all the time. Think of the Greek gods, Zeus, Apollos, Athena. They were very fickle. They changed all the time. They love you one day, hate you the next day. They do you good one time and bad another time. They change all the time. They had the characteristics of man. But my friend, God says, I am the Lord and I change not. He does not change. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to James chapter. In fact, hold a piece of paper in 1 John. We'll come back to that verse at the very end. But look in James chapter 1, please. James 1, page 1698. As you turn, if you notice, the two side doors are open on your side here. I know that may bother some of you. The purpose for that is two of our four air conditioners are out. And the, these back side rooms, they got them cranked down real low with a fan trying to blow it in here to help you stay cool during the service. That's the reason that they were left open. All right, James chapter 1. Look in verse 17, please. James 1:17, Again, talking about a God who does not change. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Talking about God, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The word variableness means variation and change. God does not change. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. It goes on saying, neither shadow of turning, meaning that there is in God not a faintest hint or shade of change. You ever heard the term shadow of doubt? It means you have no doubt. My friend he said, here it said he has no shadow of turn. He doesn't turn one way and the next way. He does not change. And our assurance is based upon that about God. God does not change. Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, forever. We have a God that does not change. The next substance of our assurance is the incapability of God. The incapability of God. Something God is incapable of doing. Someone said, tell me something God cannot do. God cannot lie. Go with me now, please, to Titus. The book of Titus. If you would turn with me, I want you to see this. Maybe you can underline it in your Bible. 
page 1678. Now remember all the books in the New Testament that begin with T are together. You got Thessalonians, then you got Timothy, and then Titus. Titus 1, verse 2. What a wonderful verse this is about our God. Titus 1, verse 2, please. It says, in hope of eternal life. The word hope means to joyfully anticipate eternal life, which God, notice what it says here, that God, what? That cannot lie. Look at it, please. It didn't say he will not lie. It says he cannot lie. He's incapable, contrary to his character. Now, you and I, we can lie. There's times we choose not to lie. We will not lie. My friend, God cannot lie. When he says something, you can count on it. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised. When God makes a promise, you can bank on it. You can believe it. Because God will not change, and he cannot lie. Hebrews, let me just read this to you. Hebrews 6, verse 18. It says that by two immutable things, unchangeable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who had fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that's set before us. You know, when I understood that I was a sinner and I deserved to go to hell, you know what I did? I ran to, to Jesus as a refuge. I fled to him as re- refuge and said, it says here, to lay hold of the hope set before us. He promised me the hope of eternal life if I trust him. And I fled to him as a f- source of safety, as a w- refuge. And the Bible says one thing God cannot do, it's impossible for him to lie. So when he makes your promise, my friend, you can count on it. God can- will not change. He cannot lie. And the third thing, this is a uh, substance of our assurance, is the sufficiency of Christ. The sufficiency of Christ. Many times people doubt their salvation because they look at their faith. Say, Pastor, I don't know if I have enough faith. Oh, I'm weak in my faith. And please listen. We're saved by faith, but faith is not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. When you place your faith in him, he's the one that does the saving. So whether you have a little faith or maybe a weak faith. Basically, the, um, it's not how much faith you have. It's in whom you have your faith in. Let me say that again. It's not how much faith you have. It's in whom you have your faith in. A little bit of faith in Christ the Savior brings your soul to heaven. Once you're saved, a whole lot of faith in God brings heaven to your soul. Let me say that again. A little bit of faith... And Christ as Savior brings your soul to heaven. But once you're saved, a whole lot of faith in Christ brings uh, heaven to your soul. For example, the chair you're sitting in. How many of you went up there and made sure you felt that and kind of moved around, make sure it will hold you up? You had full confidence and probably just plopped right down on it. And it held you up. In other words, you had faith in that because it, it held you up. Now, what if we had an old chair, the kind of wood and and you you're the, have the idea that, you know, they don't make things like they used to be, and that's an old antique chair, but I have full confidence to hold me up. And you sit in it and collapse. Did your faith keep you from falling? You can have full confidence in that chair, yet it failed. So basically, it's, again, is your faith, is the object of your faith worthy of your faith? 
So when you understand that you're a sinner and you cannot save yourself, and you place your faith or confidence in Christ, my friend, he's sufficient, he's worthy, and he will save you. Whether your faith is little or weak, my friend, God can save when you place your faith in him and him alone is your savior. The Bible talks about having the faith the size of a mustard seed. You ever seen a mustard seed? It said it's one of the smallest. It's like a gnat, like a point. It's very small. And so basically, the substance of our assurance is a God who will not change, is a God who cannot lie, and it's the sufficiency of Christ as our Savior. Number two, now look at the source of assurance. The source of assurance. We saw the substance of assurance, not the source. Here's a question for you. When you doubt your salvation, where do you go to find assurance? When you experience doubt and you question, am I really going to heaven? Am I really saved? Where do you go for assurance? Now, let me tell you, first of all, where not to go. Where not to look. Number one, one's feelings. Don't look at the way you feel to determine whether you're really saved or not. Feelings change. Feelings come and go. You feel good today, bad tomorrow. You feel saved today, not so saved tomorrow. I remember one time I talked to someone about salvation. Asked him, he's going to heaven today? And he said, I feel like it. I said, well, if you don't feel like it tomorrow. How many realize feelings change? And let me share with you, I'm not a morning person. I get up about five or six. I wake up about nine or ten. <laughs> now, how many understand that? If you ask me at five o'clock in the morning, Pastor, do you feel saved? I say, no. <laughs> Give me a while, now I might feel that way. I'm trying to say, don't base your salvation on your feelings, because they change. In fact, where do feelings come from? Where do emotions come from? The Bible says our heart is a seed of man's emotions. What does the Bible say about your heart? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately what? Many times your heart may deceive you and give you good feelings about saved when you're not saved. So if you're looking for assurance, don't look to something that changes your feelings. Number two, another thing do not look to is one's behavior. One's behavior. Our behavior should reflect that we're Christians. The Bible said we should live soberly, righteous, and God in this world. But how many realize sometimes our behavior changes? Sometimes we're spiritual, sometimes we're carnal. And if you base your assurance on your behavior, you'll be saved today and lost tomorrow. So basically, don't look to your behavior as a means of assurance. The third thing not to look to is man's opinion. Someone said opinions like armpits. Everybody has one and they all stink. Many people have the opinion you can be saved, others you can be lost. And you go on the uh, Christian radio, Christian television, you hear all different opinions about salvation. So don't look to your feelings, don't look to your behavior or man's opinion, because that changes. So where should I look, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Here's the source of assurance. Number one, the promises of God. The promises of God. Something does not change. Go with me now, if you will, please, to John 10, please. Page 1504, everybody turn there. Many of you may know this verse. If you don't, I encourage you to look at it with me. If you want to have assurance of salvation, go to something that does not change. Go to the promises of God. Because remember, one thing about God's promises, God cannot lie. And when he promises something, you can count on it. 
John 10, verse 28. Here's a verse written to believers. What a wonderful promise this is for those that know Christ as Savior. John 10, 28. Jesus said, I give unto them what? There it is again. When you trust Christ as Savior, he gives you eternal life. And it goes on to say, and they shall what? Never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Notice here. When God gives you eternal life, he says, you will never perish. What does the word never mean? <laughs> does it mean under certain circumstances? Does it mean under certain situations? Never. In fact, the word never is a double negative in the Greek, which means you are not by any means, in no case, not ever, never. Remember this elderly lady who didn't know much about the Bible, but she knew this verse. She trusted Christ as Savior. She was in the hospital. And some pastors did not know come and visit her. And basically asked her about going to heaven. She said, yes, I'm going to heaven. But he said, you know, if you're not living right, you're not going to make it. She said, my Bible says never perish. He said, well, you, do you think if you go out and live in sin and die in that state, you'll still go to heaven? My Bible says never perish. My friend, what the Bible says is true. Why? Why won't we perish once we're saved? He said, neither shall any man pluck you out of my hand. The God who saves you is the God who keeps you. Now, look at me, please. Quick illustration. Let this hand represent God of heaven. This represent the sinner. Many people will picture salvation this way. When you get saved, when God reaches down, we grab hold of him. And, and basically, we'll be saved as long as we hold on, keep on, and our grip is strong, and our faith is strong. As long as I hold on to God, I'll make it. But if I don't, I slip away, I lost it. But the good news is when God saves you, you don't grab hold of him. He grabs hold of you. He said, I give you eternal life. And you will never perish. Neither shall any man pluck you out of my hand. If you notice the word man there is in italics. It said, neither shall any. That means even you or Satan cannot pluck you out of God's hand. The God who saves you is the God who keeps you. Let me show you another promise. Go now to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. couple chapters before chapter 10, John said, another wonderful promise. Now, this is where you should go for assurance. Go to something that does not change. Go to a God who cannot lie. And he tells us that we'll never perish. John 6, 37, please. John 6, 37. Jesus said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will, what's it say? In no wise cast out. The word no wise means in no case, in no situation, not ever. Never. In fact, it's the same Greek word as the word never in John 10, 28. When he saves you, he will not cast you out. There was a pastor in a local church here in Land Lakes. This happened many years ago. I went to a McDonald's to get a cold drink. I was going to go in and get it and leave. And as I'm walking out, it's my brother, brother Peterson, brother Peterson. I look over, it was this pastor. He said, come sit with me. I went home and sat with him with my cold drink, did a little small talk, and he, he says, oh, Pastor Peterson, I understand you believe once saved, always saved. I said, yes, I believe that because the Bible teaches. He says, show me in the Bible. And so John 6, Jesus said, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Here, Jesus said, when we come to him as Savior, there'll be no reason, no situation in heaven why he'd cast us out. You know what he told me? He said, you know, I can't argue with that. 
He will not cast us out, but he says, but you can cast yourself out. And I believe the Lord anticipated this false line of reasoning, and he gave us verse 39. Look at verse 39. And this is whose will? The Father's will, which has sent me, and he goes on to say, that all of all which he has given me, I should lose how much? Nothing. He didn't say I'd lose something. I'd lose nothing. You're at least something. He said I'd lose nothing. So basically, if what he said was true, God won't cast you out, but you can cast yourself out. And you did. He'd have to say, you know, I, I lost one. Uh, this man was saved, but he cast himself out. I lost him. But he said I'd lose what? Nothing. What a promise. So the God of heaven who cannot lie said when you come to Christ, you'll never perish. He'll never cast you out. And he will never lose you. What a promise. So if you need assurance of salvation, go to the promises of God, which cannot lie. We can show you many more. John 5, 24, I believe we on the screen. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come in condemnation. When we trust Christ as Savior, God gives us eternal life and will never come into condemnation before God. So when you're looking for assurance, Look to the promises, number two. Another source that will never change, not only the promises of God, but the power of God. The power of God. We're not turned there. I'll just give you the reference, but I'll read it to you. First Peter chapter 1, in verse 3, says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4. Two, an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Listen carefully, please. The power that saves you is the power that keeps you. In other words, you know, he doesn't save you, then you keep yourself. He's saved, kept by the power of God. So the greatest power in the universe is the power that keeps you saved. The only person who can ever pluck you out of God's hands, that power greater than God. And who's that? None. Wow. So the God who created this universe, spoken to existence by his own word, is the one who saved me. But hallelujah, he's one who keeps me. We are kept by the power of God. So basically, where should I go for assurance? Go to the promise of God. Go to the power of God. And by the way, Remember, God cannot lie, but God cannot, does not change. He's not strong today and weak tomorrow. He does not change. And lastly, the third place to go for assurance is the presence of God. The presence of God. In John 14, let me read this to you. John 14, 16. Jesus said, I will pray the Father that it shall give you another comforter, talking about the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever. In other words, when you were saved, the Spirit of God indwelt you. He took up permanent residence in, your, in you. Your body becomes his temple. He said he, that he, he'll abide with us forever. So if I did die and go to hell, guess who would go with me? The Holy Spirit. Another verse, Hebrews 13, 5. Many of you know this verse. It's let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee. Or forsake the word never is the same word. No case, no situation. So basically, up here, when God saved you, one place we can go for assurance is his presence. 
He said, Holy Spirit will abide with me forever. And guess what? He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Amen. You say, Pastor, why? This may not be good English, but listen. Why won't God forsake us for our sin? Because he forsook his son for your sin. On the cross, Jesus Christ said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did God the Father forsake his son? Because his son became sin for you. And all my sin was placed upon him. God turned his back on his own son for my sin. Therefore, when you trust Christ, he said, I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you. What a great promise that is. So, we saw the substance of assurance. What was the substance? God's character, that he does not change. He cannot lie. He's sufficient. Then we looked at the source of assurance. There were three of them. The promise, the power, and the presence of God. Number three, now look at the signs of assurance. The signs of assurance. Just last week, my granddaughter came to our house, and our daughter said, you know, she has the flu. Is that, how do you know? She has all the signs of it. She has a fever, she uh, sore throat, and basically she was very lethargic. She just laid around, didn't want to do anything. Now, that's not normally our granddaughter. She wants to do everything. So we, we knew she had the flu because she had all the signs of the flu. You realize the signs of assurance? Listen carefully, please. These signs will happen, occur occasionally in the life of the believer. So they're not the best form of assurance, but they are a legitimate form. You understand that? You will not experience these all the time. But when you do experience them, they are signs of assurance that you are a child of God. Can I give you two of them? Go with me now to Hebrews chapter 12, please. One sign of assurance is the discipline of our Heavenly Father. The discipline of a Heavenly Father. Or I may use the word correction. The biblical word is chastisement. Hebrews 12, page 1695. Here's a sure sign of assurance, a sure sign that you are a child of God. Hebrews 12, verse 5, please. Hebrews 12, 5. Talk about the discipline of our Heavenly Father. Verse 5 said, Ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chasing of the Lord, nor faint when thou rebuked of him. Basically, when you're saved, one thing God will do as your father, heavenly father, when you fall into sin or to something contrary to his word, he would chasten you as any loving father does. Look up here, please. That pastor I knew that I met in uh, McDonald's that went together, he said, if I did believe in eternal security, I wouldn't preach it. I said, why? He says, because you give your people a license to sin. If someone says, no matter what I do, I'll still go to heaven. Whoo, I'll go live as I please. My friend, it's not a license to sin. It's a liberty and motivation to serve. Because he doesn't, once you're saved, he doesn't let you live as you please. Try it. No, don't try it. <laughs> For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receives. God chastens us. He doesn't cast us out. He doesn't disown us. He chastens us. He chastens us because he loves us. Look in verse 6, please. I just quoted the verse. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth how many sons? Circle that word. Every son. Every Christian with some time in their life experienced God's correction. You know, my dad loved me a lot. 
the many times he let me know that I was his son. So correction, discipline, chastisement says God loves you, but also God's disciplined because he, you belong to him. God disciplines us because we belong to him. God does not chasten the unbeliever. He only chastens the Christian. Look in verse 7, please. If ye endure chastening, in other words, if you're going through a good spanking, is what he's saying here from the Lord. God dealeth with you as with sons. The word son means children. For what son, what child is he whom the father chastens not? Verse 8. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof, what's the next word? All. All are partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. What are you saying here? Look here, please. One person said, Pastor, I've been living in sin, and God has an envy in my life. I said, you have a good reason to question your salvation. One sure sign of assurance is God's discipline when you do wrong. God will let you know you belong to him. He won't let you live as you please. My dad let me know many times I belong to him when I did things wrong. How many understand that? That's true. So one thing, though I, uh, this is occasionally, hope you're not being chasing all the time, but it only happens when we do wrong. But when we do something wrong, the hand of a loving father will not disown you. He will not kick you out. You'll never perish. But my friend, you'll experience what is called the chast- chasing of God. And God's loving father will correct us when we do wrong. So that is a sure sign of assurance. The next sign though it may happen occasionally as a legitimate sign, is the witness of the Spirit. The witness of the Spirit. In Romans 8, verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The word beareth witness means to testify, give evidence. Many times the Spirit of God will give evidence that we're his children. And for one of them is this. Basically, is the fruit he produces in our lives. The fruit he produces in our lives. The Holy Spirit confirms and the validity of our salvation by the fruit he produces. Many of you know Galatians 5. We're not turned there. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. Now, when you experience God's peace that passes all understanding, when you experience the joy of the Lord, when you experience uh, temperance, self-control, these are the fruit, the byproduct of being controlled by the Spirit. These are signs of assurance. Now, sometimes we don't experience that because we become carnal. But when we allow the Spirit of God to fill us and control us, the fruit we will experience is right here. So these are signs of assurance. The fruit he produces but also the power he provides. The power he provides for spiritual service. Many of you know Acts 1.8? But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. When God saved you, he indwelt you by his Spirit, and he gives you the power to be the person you ought to be, be the witness you ought to be. And that power is a sure sign of assurance. Now, sometimes we don't avail ourselves of the power. It may be occasional, but it is very uh, true. When we experience the power, many of you have done that. When you begin to share Christ, you sense the power of God in presenting the gospel to them. Ephesians 3.16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, 
to be strengthened with the might by his spirit by the inner man. So God gives you spiritual strength, spiritual power, and these are signs of the Holy Spirit, and it's your spirit that you're a child of God. And lastly, Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So basically, the uh, signs of assurance, though they happen occasionally, they are true. The first one is the chastisement of the Heavenly Father upon a disobedient child. And the second one is the witness of his spirit. His spirit bears witness with us that we're his children by the fruit we bear and also by the power he provides. Now, look up here, please. Our time is just about gone. Isn't this a great truth? Now, let me quickly go over it again. We saw the substance of assurance. The substance is God himself. That God does not change. He cannot lie. And he is uh, sufficient. The second one, the source of assurance, is something that does not change. Is the power of God, the presence of God, and the promise of God. Lastly, the signs of assurance is the discipline of the Heavenly Father and the witness of His Spirit. Here's a question for you. How should these great truths impact our lives? How should it affect me? I don't know about you. All this speaks of grace. I realized the day I trusted Christ as an eight-year-old boy, and I'm 68 years old. I've been saved over 60 years. He said, why are you still saved, Pastor? Because the God who saved me is the God who keeps me. He gave me eternal life. And so basically, I'm still saved not because I deserve it, not because I've earned it or merited it, but because of his grace. And so that grace has saved us, according to Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously in God in this present world. So basically, look up here and I'm going to close. There are many pastors who will not preach what I preach today because they have a fear that if you preach someone, he's eternally secure, that he think I can go live as I please. And basically, this great assurance is not a license to sin. It's a liberty and a motivation to serve. Nothing causes me to want to serve my God more, to know me, to know that he will never cast me out. That when I do fail, make mistakes, I'm still secure. And, and, and I still desire to serve him. So I want to encourage you. If you ever doubt your salvation, go to the substance of God the source of assurance, and realize the signs. Close your Bibles, please. Look up here. A verse I told you I'd turn to, but I'll quote it for you. Remember the very first verse we looked at in 1 John? Let me quote it again for you. This is the record that God had given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Someone said this. If you have a dispute with somebody and you've got to go to a, a court of law, they said, put it in writing. Your word or handshake is no longer good. You've got it written down, this binding in the court of law. Notice what the God did here. He says, these things have I written under he put it in writing 
to those who believe. Why? For the sole purpose that a believer can know, not hope, not guess, not wonder. You can know you have eternal life. I had a man tell me one time, he was talking about salvation. He asked me about going to heaven. He said, I know I'm going to heaven. And his eyes got this big. He said, what gives you audacity to say such a thing? It doesn't take any audacity. It takes believing what God says. God says when he saved me, he gave me eternal life. Now, that is a motive to serve, uh, to, to live for him. But then in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, let me quote it again, and we'll wrap it up with this. He says, these things have written unto that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. So if you're here today and you're saved, the Bible says you don't have to hope, about, hope or guess about it. You can know it. But if you're here today and you're not saved, and you want to know you have eternal life, the verse concludes with this. It says, and that you might believe on the name of the Son of God. So it's written to those who are saved so they can know it. But if you're not saved, don't know it, believe on the Son of God. Look up here, please. Illustration I want to share with you. We'll close with this. I like illustrations. Dr. Curtis Hudson said they're like a window that's lighting on the subject. So look over, please. Let me use my hanky here. I've been having to use it a little bit this morning. Let my left hand represent everyone here today. Let my hanky represent our sin. So here we are. Here's our sin. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all done things wrong. The Bible says God loves us. He loves sinners, but he hates our sin. And the reason God hates your sin is your sin separates you from God. To go to heaven, you have to be without sin. Not one sin will ever enter the presence of God. And here, let, let this hand of Jesus Christ, our sin separates us from God. So here we are. Here's our sin. And the Bible says the wages of your sin is death. In other words, if you pay for that, you have to die and go to hell to do it. And the Bible also says good works can't save you. So they say, well, here's a bunch of good works. They say, well, if I go to church and read my Bible and I pray, be kind and moral person, keep the commandments, maybe I might be good enough one day to go to heaven. I've had nothing wrong with good works. But it will not take away your sin. It will not pay for your sin. It will not remove that which separates you from God. So, so far, that's bad news. We're all sinners. We're all a penalty. And we cannot save ourselves. But here's the good news. Romans 5, 8. God commendeth, demonstrate his love toward us, and that while we yet sinners, Christ died for us. What's the penalty of sin? Death. What did Christ do on the cross? Die. Who did he die for? Me. He died for you. He died for us. The penalty of sin that we owe to holy God, Jesus Christ paid for on the cross. You know how many sins he paid for? All. Past present future. He's the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but the sins of the whole world. So basically, let us hand over to Jesus Christ. He was the son of God, perfect, who never sinned. He came to this earth for one purpose, to die. While on the cross, he took that which separates us from himself upon himself. Though he knew no sin, he became sin for us. And on the cross, God the Father punished him for what we've done wrong. He died for your sin, he was buried, and he rose again. And the Bible said, if you believe when he died, he died for you, and trust him as you be your Savior, that you would not perish, but you would have everlasting life. In fact, his righteousness is applied to our account. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So my question is, my friend, have you ever trusted Christ to be your Savior? 
If you have, you can know it. You can know you have eternal life. But if you haven't, do it today. Let's bow together, please. As her heads are bowed and eyes are closed, Christian, my message this morning was primarily for you. Because all of us at times may go through doubt, question about salvation. We lack the assurance. But always remember, once you're saved, you are eternally secure in Christ. He promised you never cast you out, never lose you, you'll never perish. Now, base your assurance on that security based upon God's word. And the Bible says you can know you have eternal life. But if you're here today and you never trusted Christ, I encourage you to do that today. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you never understood until today that salvation is a free gift and you can obtain eternal life by putting your trust in Christ as Savior, why not do it right now? Right where you sit in the quietness of your mind, you can trust in Christ as Savior. And those who do, he gives eternal life. You say, Pastor, that is good news. That makes sense to me. I'd like to trust Christ as my Savior. How do I do that? You can do it right where you're sitting. The Bible said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And right now you can call upon him to save you. In a simple prayer as you talk to God, maybe just say something like this. Just say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge, I admit that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned. I deserve your punishment, your judgment. But God, I believe your son Jesus was punished and judged in my place. The judgment I deserve for my sin, Jesus took upon himself. And there on the cross, buried my sin and shame, he died for me. He was buried and he rose again. And right now, I'm trusting you to be my savior. I'm trusting Christ to save me and forgive me and to give me eternal life. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if what I said made sense to you, and you trust in Christ today, I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to know that. I get excited when I see someone else make that decision and trust Christ as Savior. So if you did that today, in one moment, I'm going to ask you to do something to raise your hand. Raise your hand does not save you. It just indicates to me that you've trusted Christ. But I'd like to know that I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to point you out. I just want to pray for you. With heads bowed and eyes are closed, so no one will be put on the spot. If you pray today to receive Christ as Savior, and allow me to include you in my closing prayer. Right where you're at, you simply raise your hand so I can pray for you. Anyone at all? Pastor, here's my hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Say, Pastor, I trust Christ. Here's my hand. Kate, I did that today. Anyone else quickly? I understood that. I prayed to receive Christ. Pastor, please pray for me. Anyone at all else? Father in heaven, we thank you for this one. But in case you hand that's trusted you as Savior, heaven is now their home. Eternal life is a present possession for all who believe. You said, and I give unto them eternal life, and they'll never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Right now, they have eternal life. I pray they would share that good news with others and now begin to live a life that's pleasing to God, not to go to heaven, but because they are going to heaven. We thank you for this one. Father, we ask your blessing upon us. We go our separate ways. That's in Jesus' name. Amen.